Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We are today beginning lesson 40, a good number. And we ended up with the last psalm that we wanted to cover in the, the book of Psalms, Psalm 149, where basically we see it from the point of view of the way God has inspired it to be written, from the point of view of the one that wrote it, from the point of view of the, their understanding of who the people of God are, and uh, the city of that God, and the, the saints they're speaking about. In other words, whenever the psalmist is writing all these things, he's not thinking about the concept that later on came about uh, by those who became known as uh, Catholics and the later on Protestants. He's not thinking, thinking about the so-called the world of Christianity. He's thinking mainly about the people of Israel that God chose through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and brought out of Egypt, and all the the events that they went through, and the history that they went through, and the punishment that came upon them because of uh, affliction, and uh, transgression, and all kind of uh, uh, things like that, and then he ends up with the triumphant, triumphant uh, psalm at the end, that all will end up well with the people of God, and not only that, even uh, God is going to give them the victory over their enemies. And here what we see is on a double level that is spiritual and physical because the saints, the people of God, who are the children of Israel, of, uh, of, the, of the people of Jacob that God chose and gave his spirit to, as it began when he came on this earth, he came to his own, and his own became the, the foundation of the spiritual level of the body of Christ, which gradually was going to include, as time went by, and especially at the end time, all the children of Israel were alive to this point, and at the end time, which is the end time of men, and that is the end of the 7,000 years and of the 6,000 years, when Christ will call on the second resurrection, he will bring back to life all the children of Israel, and then again you're going to have a repetition of that. But by that time, the the story will be finished. The people of Israel will become the spiritual Israel, all of them. And God is going to graft, and as he has been doing from the beginning of time, for you individual from other nations, individuals who were righteous, who feared God, who honored God, who sought God, and therefore God had respect for them. And they became a part of the Israel of God. But that is in contrast to the misconceptions, the misinformation of those who came from without who did not necessarily have the Spirit of God and though at the same time some others did have the Spirit of God and they were confused by that information not having background, not having an understanding of what the church was all about. And so this is what we see here at the time. People who are servants of God, who are the saints of God, who are obedient to the law of God, people who are not rebellious, against God and His law and claim, well, we want to live by grace only and we don't want anything to do with the law, with the, with the, with the law of God. Uh, some of them just give lip service to it. Uh, or they talk about the Ten Commandments. That is a moral code. In, in other words, the foundation of all laws. And I think that's, that's the end of it. And as for everything else that has to do with the law of God, they say, well, that's legalism. We don't want that. You know, we just want the New Testament, we want grace. In other words, 
they're basically looking at the Word of God, at the truth of God, at the Church of God, from the point of view of the background out of which they came. And that's not a good background to go by. You see, when you put uh, on a pair of glasses, if they are pink, you're going to see the whole world pink, regardless of reality. And if you put a different color, you're going to see it in a different color. And God wants us to look at His Word and His church and His people and His plan of salvation and everything that He does from His point of view. In other words, we have to put on the glasses of God, glasses of truth and of light, not our background, not all the things that we've been taught in the past, because that is affecting us and haunting us in many ways we may not even realize. And that's the reason why God says, Come out of Babylon. You think that you're doing okay. And you don't realize how much of Babylon is still in you. And it's not an easy process to come out of it. When oftentimes you don't even know what you are in. Now, it's important, as I said, to look at the law of God, at the church of God, at the word of God from his point of view. For example, when it comes to the law of God, people have the false concept of what it is. And so there is constant debate about the law of God, about legalism, about uh, being literal, about uh, spiritualism and all these things. And each one has a different uh, concept and each one goes in, in his own direction. Some are more that way, some are more the other way. But we have to realize that when God, when Christ, when the prophets, when Moses, when the apostles speak about the law of God, their concept of it is not that of so-called established Christianity, out of which the overwhelming majority of us came. Uh, that is partly. Some of us think that we came totally. No, it doesn't happen that way. It's a long process. Whatever background we came out of, it takes an awful lot, or a long time to totally come out of it, to get to the point where there is absolutely nothing of that which is not of God in us. And so we have to always remember that. That's why Paul had to tell the, uh, the brethren, he that thinks that he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Because it's so easy and so natural to, to assume that we, we are in the light when God doesn't see it that way. And he makes it plain that way. That's why he asks us and commands us to grow in grace and knowledge and understanding because we don't have it all. And so when the apostles and the prophets and Moses looked at the law of God, that is the Torah of God, they just didn't see it the way that the members, those who are either in it or came out of it, of established Christianity, see it. Or he doesn't look at it from the point of view of the English dictionary uh, concept of what law is. And, as I said, if we put on the glasses of established Christianity on, or its theology, all that of the understanding of the meaning of the word by the English dictionary or any other source, we obviously see it in a different way. And so, when we speak, or when we think, and when we study the law, the Torah of God, we will get a different perspective on it. And therefore, it's important to, to reorient our minds and to examine ourselves constantly to see whether we really think the way God does. Because he made us uh, realize that long time ago, and to one degree or the other, we do understand it, that our ways are not his ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Therefore, we should take it for granted that we are not necessarily where we should be, if that's the reality of things, and be open to reorient our minds in accordance with the truth of God, not in accord accordance with any opinion of men. 
And so we get a different perspective when we look at it from that point of view, from the point of view of our background. And God sees it differently. His apostles saw it differently. The prophets saw it differently. And we ought to see it from their point of view, not our own point of view, especially when we're talking about the reality for uh, that for the, two, uh, the past 2,000 years, there has been a false religion out there that totally misrepresented almost every single concept that has been taught. And to the point that people that came out of it still think that, yes, there are certain things we have to come out of and we change, but there are many other things that still they take for granted thinking that they are truth because the deception has been so thorough. And that's the reason why we're going very thoroughly through this uh, subject of the identity of the church to reorient our mind in the proper way so we begin to see things the way God does. When it comes to the law of God, for example, most people think about law, that is uh, the, con- the concept of law, let's say, in uh, the English language, in the dictionary, and for that matter, many other languages. Uh, we think about it as a system of legal code of behavior. It's a legal terminology of a code of conduct. And therefore, uh, we, many of us, have an argument about the law of God when we apply that term, that terminology, that concept, that idea to the law of God. And we think about it, at least some of us think about the law as legalism. And I don't want that legalism, people say. I don't want to be legalistic. I want to be spiritual. And we don't understand what we're talking about if we're looking at it from the point of view of the world. Because it's a totally different concept than what God had in mind. And so, I think uh, all those who are having this, uh, this concept about legalism and the law, uh, probably they should refresh your mind by uh, looking through the first uh, lesson that we had when we uh, tried to attempt to de- describe the law of God and what it is all about. It's not just a matter of legalism. Now, the word that God chose, and he's the one that chose it and has a purpose for it, why he chose that word and not any other word, is Torah. Because as I explained in the first lesson, the Torah has many dimensions. It includes many things in it that really explain what God had in mind and why God chose this term and not another one. And so... If we want to refresh our mind and do it, I think this would be a good point to do it so we can begin to uh, reorient our mind every time we hear the word law and not get uh, misconceptions and uh, therefore, unfortunately, resentments against it, as I realize that people always have. They don't like to hear the word law. They want to hear other words. And uh, that's exactly what happened to the false religion. They hated that concept of the law. They hated the concept of the Torah. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. They called it Jewish. You know, that's, that's for the old people, the ancient world, you know, the ancient church, not for us. We're a New Testament church, they claim. And so they began to invent their own terminology for it. And the terminology by itself, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, to say Christian doctrine, Christian principles, and Christian values, and, and all these things, by themselves, they're not right, they're not wrong. But when you, when you realize what was the intent behind it? Then you begin to see how wrong it is to, to think in those terminologies and to develop, on the other hand, a resentment which many people among the people of God have to this very moment, a resentment toward even the name Torah. I don't want to hear about statutes and judgments and precepts and ordinances, uh, which is 
As a matter of fact, just an English translation of the, the terminology in Hebrew. But even that, they don't want to hear it. They want to hear about grace, and they want to hear about principles, Christian doctrines, and Christian principles, and Christian this, and Christian that. And in the process, they're looking at everything that God has to say about himself and his law and his church from the point of view of the background out of which they came. And of that background, God commands us to come out of, because to him it's Babylon, even though to the people of Babylon doesn't seem to be that way. And so the Torah, the word, and the concept that God had chosen, that had uh, uh, something to do with legalism. Yes, uh, there is a part of legalism there, but it's not just legalism. The Torah is teaching about legalism, yes, about the physical legalism and spiritual legalism. When God says don't murder and don't commit adultery, that's a physical and spiritual legalism. What's wrong with that? But the Torah is more than just that. The Torah gives us history, it gives us poetry, it gives us uh, teachings about health, attitudes and feelings and emotions and relationships, and a thinking process, and it gives us a, a value system, a judgmental system from the point of view of God. It reveals the nature of God, the mind of God, the feeling of God, the emotions of God. It gives us the good news and the bad news, the causes and the effects, and so much more so. All that is included in the Torah. While when you talk about law, you're talking about a strict concept of a legalistic system which every nation must have in order to survive uh, in, in, in a world of civility instead of anarchy. And so we should not look at the law of God uh, from the English dictionary or any other dictionary concept of what it means or from the theological background out of which we came, but we should look at it from the point of view of God, the way he inspired that word to be and what it means far beyond far beyond what people think. The Torah includes grace. It includes mercy. It includes compassion. It includes the fruit of the Spirit. And it tells us about the fruit of the flesh and about all those things. So we have to look at it from that point of view and question ourselves. Why is it that we have such a resentment? And then Paul made it very plain. He said, the carnal mind, the physical mind, is an enemy of God by nature. Is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And, and, and we, if we want to be spiritual, we have to get rid of this attitude that we have toward the law of God. As many of us do, because of uh, preconditioning, and unfortunately, and a lot of abuse also, where people you use the law to clobber people, in other words, a legalistic concept of it, instead of teaching what the law is all about. And uh, we have to look at it from God's point of view. The law is spiritual. Even when it deals with a physical matter. God is spirit. And how do you box God into the concept of legalism? Love is a fulfilling of the law. The royal law. And how do you box love into this concept of legalism? Jesus Christ is the epitome of the law, of the word of God. And how do you box him into this concept of legalism? So we have to think about it. You know, we have to think properly about it. And uh, then we shall have a greater desire for the Word of God, for the law of God, for the truth of God, and a greater understanding 
And that's why Romans 8:7 tells us that. That when we think carnally, even Paul said, the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, soul under sin. You see? And when we think that way, even when we are spiritual, like the Apostle Paul, if we think that way, then uh, we become carnal, and we resent correction, and we resent reorientation, and we resent change. That is, change from God's point of view, not what man say, you know, says change is. And we resent uh, the part of the law that has to do with legalism. There's nothing wrong with legalism. There's something wrong with uh, abuse of it. And that's a different story. And so we have to look at it from God's point of view. In Psalm 19, God tells us through the, his prophet David how to think about the law of God. And that is uh, something that we should reconsider when we see this concept and hear this concept because I realize and I come across this attitude often time in many places in the past many years. Uh, when, as soon as people hear about the law, it says, oh, no, we don't hear about that. And tell us something else. And that's because of misconceptions that we have that we, we brought uh, from our background. And that is not helping us. But God is telling us through his prophet David in Psalm 19 and verse 7, the law that is the Torah of the, of the Lord, of the Eternal, is perfect. It is perfect. You see? It's not just legalism. Something he should resent and say the law is done away with. Oh, God says it's perfect. That means it's got everything in it that is necessary for salvation. And because of that, it says, converting the soul. You see? And since the Word of God is God Himself, in other words, as Christ said, my words are spirit. Are spirit. He said, I am the truth. You see? And the truth is his word, and his law, and his teachings. And so it's a spiritual thing, it's a living thing, it's not a dead thing. It's not just a legalism that you write on a book, and you put it someplace. The law of God is a living thing, because that is the very nature of God. And so that's why God says, the law of God, of the Lord, is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, that is, of the eternal is pure, enlightening the eyes, and the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the eternal are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant, David speaks about himself, and anybody who calls himself a servant of God should have the same attitude. By them, moreover, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. You see? So when we have an attitude about the law of God, as soon as we hear it, obviously, uh, we are using the glasses of our background. And the background that we came out of, uh, speaking of those that came out of Protestantism, that is about Protestant religion, or Catholicism, well, their background was that uh, the law is bad, uh, the law is uh, car, you know, it's not for us, it's physical, uh, it's for the Jews, uh, we don't want it, we just want grace. Don't talk about the law, we don't want to hear about it, you see, and that's not a good background. 
God tells us to come out of that background because that's Babylon. That's the spirit of Babylon. That's the spirit of lawlessness. That's the spirit of iniquity. That's the spirit of rebellion. That's the spirit of witchcraft. And we don't realize that. Why God tells us to come out of Babylon? Because of all these attitudes. And they're infesting us and affecting us and destroying us. And they're like acid, you know. They're eating up the good that God is forming in us. And that's the way David saw it, the man of God. And in Proverbs 3.13, his son saw also the law of God in, a, uh, in uh, the same way, but also explained it in another way, where he's telling us uh, about the law of God, that it's not what people think it is. And here he's speaking in specific about uh, wisdom. But... What wisdom is he talking about? He's speaking about the word of God, about the truth of God, about the righteousness of God. And he says, happy is the man, in chapter 3 of Proverbs, in verse 13, happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver. People don't see it that way, the word of God, the law of God, the truth of God, the teachings of God. Yet that's the way God sees it. And her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. And all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. You see? People who do not follow the law of God have war, friction, conflicts. Animosities. That's why this world does not know peace. Verse 18. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who retain her. Not miserable. As some people would, lie, would make people believe. You know, living by the love of God, that's horrible because that's a curse. That's evil. That's bad. You see how totally contrary it is to the, to the thinking of God. Now, here you've been uh, reading about the ways of God, the thoughts of God, the emotions and feelings of God in contrast to that that we've been raised with. If we came out of Babylon and we were a part of it, and we're still a part of it to a degree, without even realizing it, and many of us are not willing to acknowledge it, and so they're not coming out of it. They just continue that on their uh, merry way. You know, I love grace, and I, I love love, and I love mercy and all that, but I don't like the law of God, I hate it. You know, it's legalism, legalistic, don't talk to me about it. And that's very uh, Babylonish way of thinking. Jesus Christ told uh, told his, his uh, kinsmen, you know, his people. And many of them had a lot of problems, but the one problem they didn't have is that the law is uh, evil. Uh, even though they were not necessarily keeping it properly as they should. But he's telling them in uh, cha- chapter 10 of the book of John, verses 34 and 36, uh, the issue was his sonship, that is, as being the son of God. And people couldn't take that, because they did not understand the word of God. They did not understand the law of God as they should. And so he's telling them, doesn't it say in your Torah, in your law, translated into English, in your law, I said, you are God, you are Elohim. You see? Now he's referring to Psalm 82 and verse 6. And you would think, why is he calling Psalm 82 and verse 6 the law? 
Because you see, the law is a generic term for the teachings of God. Instructions, teachings. And, you know, some people think the law is only the five books of uh, Moses. And then the law stops. No, the law of God is from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation, the last sentence in Revelation. Basically, you're reading there the final law of God. That anyone who is going to take away anything from this word of, of the book of prophecy of Revelation, or to add to it, he's not going to have a part in the kingdom of God. And that's the last law that God gave. And that's a law. It's not a suggestion. You see, the law of God is from the beginning until the end. But you see, when you think about it from the, the, the dictionary concept of the law, the legalistic concept of the law, some people all, uh, think about it only. Uh, if you think about it from the Protestant uh, point of view, or the Catholic point of view, or the worldly point of view, well, obviously you get mixed up. And you develop a different uh, understanding, which is not correct. And here, in Psalm 150, we see the people of God who are saints, who are obedient to the law of God, who love the law of God, and hate lawlessness, they're going to be given the power and the pleasure and the joy and the honor of binding those who are lawless, who hate the law of God, and destroying them. You see? Because only the obedient and the faithful and those who love God and love His Son who are the epitome of law, of truth, of light. They are the ones that are going to be in the heavenly city. And so if we have to go through this subject to begin with, which really we should not, talking about the law of God and then talking about the church, because we should have known all these things a long time ago, but the reason why we go through them is because we don't as we should. And there is a necessity to go through it. And that's unfortunate that we have... Uh, that we find ourselves after so many years of knowing the truth, still many of us have this attitude where we have a resentment against the law of God, the truth of God. And uh, that has to do an awful lot with misunderstanding to begin with. Uh, those who begin to understand what it is all about change their attitude very quickly. Uh, that is assuming that they are uh, children of conversion, of truth, of light, and not of darkness, where no matter what you say, they're going to hate it anyway. And that's the reason why even when God pours all the plagues on humanity, the lawless are going to curse him and will not repent from all their lawlessness, no matter what. So, uh, the point here is not uh, for such people who want to be that way, but the ones who are humble, who are the people of God and want to be the people of God and remain the people of God, who want to come out of Babylon who are the kind of people that God says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool, in Isaiah 66. But to whom will I look? But to the person who, who fears me and, and trembles in my word. And these are the only people that God is going to deal with. And so, to that end, we have this series about the law of God. To put on the glasses of God and look at His law from His point of view, and not the point of view of the background out of which we came that caused us an awful lot of misconceptions and misunderstanding a lot of heartaches along the way. And so now we continue with this uh, subject and we are going back, we're going now into the book of Isaiah where we continue the story of who 
and what is, that is the identity of the church of God, of the who and the what, the way God preserved this information from the beginning until the end, not the way 2,000 years ago a false church came on the scene, which is in, in essence the reincarnation of the old one, just a continuation, that's why God calls it Babylon, because there's no difference between the first and the, the second one, and it's only one church, the one that came out of Babylon, the one that came out of Rome or any other place, it's, it's just one church, and so it is the other one, the one that God brought out of Babylon in the person of Abraham, and then brought them to Mount Sinai, and, and uh, made a covenant with them, and married them, and called them his Adah, his body of witnesses, his church, if you please. That one is also just one, and, and two of them. There's only one true one, and the true one has been the one that began with Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and will continue until eternity, regardless of all the evil and the lawlessness that they committed in between. For that purpose, Christ came to atone for the sins of his people and for the sins of all of humanity, not in order to reject his people after atoning for them and then go marry somebody else. And that's the deception that the false church that began in Babylon and continued later on with the rising of the so-called New Testament church and infiltrated the church and took over and totally perverted and warped everything and those who came out of it are still infested to a degree at least with its teachings and that's the reason why we need to reorient our minds and with humble minds and hearts just look at the word of God what he says, not what men says, but what God says you know it's irrelevant what men says, what I say, what anybody says it's what God says, what you read with your own eyes, what can enter into your heart, and this is what you base your decisions on, and hopefully your thinking process and reorientation. And so we go to Isaiah chapter 1, and we continue the story about the who and the what is the church of God. And here we read about the, the vision of Isaiah, chapter 1 and verse 1. And notice to whom... God is sending this vision of Isaiah, or this entire prophecy that uh, he's going to give to him, to give to his own people. And uh, we're talking, in essence, about the emphasis uh, that he put on the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amotz, in Hebrew, Amotz, which means uh, strong and uh, be courageous. Omets, it comes from the word Omets, which means Courage, say so with the son of courage, and uh, Ishaya means uh, the the salvation of God, and God is going to reveal His salvation through this man, and also the manner as we come to chapter 52 and then 53. So it's an extremely important uh, book that reveals also the identity of the the Church of God. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning. Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah kings of Judah. So you see the emphasis that God is putting on this prophecy that's concerning Judah and Jerusalem. You see, uh, Israel were also already on their merry way into idolatry and never uh, came back to God. And so God is directing all these prophecies to his people Judah that remained still faithful not faithful in the sense of uh, purity and righteousness, 
and uh, obedience, because there are an awful lot of problems, and he's going to discuss a lot of these problems. And uh, he's going to correct them for it, but he's also going to show them the way out of it. And that's mainly through their Savior, who's going to give them the way out of it. But the emphasis we should re- remember throughout the book as we go through it is on Judah and Jerusalem. And then later on he talks also about the rest of Israel and the rest of the nations of the earth. And he is speaking here from this time into eternity. As we shall reach the end of the book, you shall see that. That is the end of the book of uh, Isaiah. And so he's saying uh, to, uh, to his people, Let's read in verse 10. He's speaking to his people that should have known better, yet they were his people, just like many of his people today. We are his people, we know better, and yet we do things we have no business doing. And so he's saying in verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. That's how he's addressing the leaders of Israel. Give ear to the Lord, to the Torah our God, you people of Gomorrah. And you can see God is not missing words with his own people. That doesn't mean that he has rejected them. And we have to understand the difference. It's one, it's one thing to correct your children. It's another thing to throw them out of the house. In verse 11, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs of goats. And you can apply that also to ourselves today. Spiritually speaking, if we, on one hand, say we love God, and we love His way and His path, and we want to be in His kingdom, and on the other hand, we tell Him we hate your law, we are resenting your law, we don't want to hear about it, we don't want any legalism in our life, just give us grace, are we different than these people that God is addressing as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? You know, that's very sobering to realize that. And so God says in verse 12, When you come to appear before me, who is required from your hand to trample my courts? If on one hand you claim to be my people, on the other hand you hate my law, I don't want you here. Verse 13, Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. In other words, if you keep Milo in the sense of the religiosity of keeping the Sabbath, keeping the new moon, keeping the holidays, paying tithe, doing this, doing that, and then in your heart you're lawless people, of what value is it all? So he says, your new moons in verse 14 and your appointed feasts, my soul hates They are a trouble to me, because your heart is not in it. That's why. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, that is, when you pray to me, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. Is God listening to all of our prayers? When we have hatred in our heart toward His law, or against Him, His own nature, His own character and mind and spirit? We have to ask ourselves this question. So God says to his people, when you pray to me, I will not hear. Why? Because your hands are full of blood. And what does it mean when hands are full of blood? That means lawlessness. And lawlessness begins in the mind. 
we hate the law of God and that we, we transgress it. That's what some people say today. I'm spiritual. I don't need to keep the Sabbath. You see? That's blood on our hand. Because we shed blood of the innocent that had to die for us because we broke his law. And people are doing it today and they think they're the people of God. And yet, God tells us, in spite of all that, verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead the widow. See, that's a part of the Torah, a part of the law of God. And some people think, well, it's all legalism. Verse 18. Now God offers at the end of the rebuke. Just like you would see it later on as we get to Revelation chapter 2 and 3. God speaks to his people. He says, I love what you do here and there and all that. But nevertheless, I've got something against you. You see, the good and the bad. And that's what he's telling to his own people. You've got all these bad things. But that's not the end of the road. Verse 18. He says, come now. And let us reason together, says the Eternal. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient. Obedience. That's the issue. Obedience to the law of God. It's disobedience that causes them to be what he called them. Sodom and Gomorrah. Disobedience. Lawless. You know, having a pretense of religion. But inside, there was hatred against his law, his way of thinking, his nature, his mind, his value system, his character, his personality. And people don't see it that way. And so he says, I'm, I'm, no matter in what condition you are, if you're obedient, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the, thor by the sword. For the mouth of the Eternal has spoken. Now, is this man speaking now? Or is it God, our Creator, and the one that became our Savior, and the one who is going to initiate this process, as we shall read later on in chapter 53? You see, this is what he was offering his wife. As filthy as you are, as lawless as you are, as hateful against the law of God as you are, as some of us are today, Yet we pretend to be the people of God and claim that we are the people of God. He says, yeah, God, I'm, God is offering us a way out. He says, I'm going to wash you totally and you're going to be so clean and so pure if you are willing and obedient. And then, and here he says, you shall eat the good of the land for us. He says, you're going to be in the kingdom. It's as simple as that. Because God has no patience with the sinful person who wants to remain sinful and yet pretend like he is a servant of God, a people of God. And many people out there are that way. They claim all day, I love Jesus, I love God, I love, you know, his grace and his mercy and his salvation and all that. I love his sacrifice. And on the other hand, they say, I hate your law, it's legalism, I don't want it. It's a curse, it's evil. Don't talk to me about it. Speak to me about the New Testament, good things, smooth things, you know. Do we have this attitude? I think many of us do. Unfortunately, I see it too much. That's the purpose of this study. 
to help us reorient our minds and to think more properly about the law of God from his point of view, what it means, what it is. It's for our own good that God is speaking here. And so, he continues in verse 21. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was a faithful city. It was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in it. But now murderers. That means lawless people. And you can be a murderer either in action or you take a weapon and you kill someone. Or you can be a murderer of somebody's character gossiping, speaking evil of your neighbor, of your friend, of those who are your servants, your leaders, your teachers, whatever it may be. Somebody else, people in other congregations. There's so many ways to be a murderer, offensive to people, putting you know them down, exalting yourself, abasing others. That's a murderer. That's the spirit of a murderer. You see? We have to see it from God's point of view. Verse 22. Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. In other words, he's describing their righteousness, which is filthy. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes. You know, people always talk about money, money, money. Give me money. You know, you find out pretty soon what they're really after. It's nothing new. That's why they like to talk about certain doctrine uh, that gives them money. And they speak too much about it. That's the main thing that they're after, oftentimes. And power, and prestige, and authority. And yet that can be uh, the affliction of every single one of us on an individual basis too. And so he says, everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Therefore, the Lord says, the Eternal says, the Eternal of hosts, the Mighty One of Israel, Ah, I will read myself of my adversaries. You know, the carnal mind is enmity against God, that is an enemy of God. Those people who hate the law of God, that's what God is saying here. Those who are behaving in such a lawless manner are my adversaries. Do you ever think of yourself as an adversary of God when you hate His law? You call it legalism? And you have resentment toward it. And he says, And I will take vengeance on my enemies. That's what he calls people like that. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross. And take away all your alloy. I will restore. But you see, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Read the whole thing always. Verse 26. I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors, as at the beginning, afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed, not rejected. As the liars are saying, Zion shall be redeemed. He's speaking about his people with justice and her penitence, or those who repent with righteousness. On the other hand, the destruction of the transgressors and of sinners shall be together. And those who forsake the eternal shall be consumed. And you forsake God when you hate his law. And you begin to commit iniquity and become lawless. And so it's important to see it from God's point of view. What he's talking about. And people forget that. Then we go to chapter 2. Now, 
that God is going to redeem Zion, redeem his own people, Israel, bring them back to him, what is the consequence now? When they become righteous. Chapter 2 and verse 1. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Again, how plain can God be? And it how deceitful the false church has been by lying to people and making them believe lies that God rejected his people. And of course, since the children of Israel, the house of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel went into captivity, uh, all that the false church was thinking about is the Jews, Judah. So God is making a point. This is what I'm saying against Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, into the future, very near, that the mountain, that is the kingdom of the Lord's house, shall be established on the top of the mountains, and all shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. What is the kingdom of God? What is the church of God? What is the people of God? What is the city of God? Who are they? What are they? God makes it very plain in contrast to the Babylonish lies and deceptions that many have swallowed without checking into it. And many in our midst are even suspect to it and have the same concepts. Remember verse 1, chapter 2. The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, but so concerning Judah and Jerusalem. The same one that he said, like Sodom and Gomorrah, but after he cleanses them and purifies them and purges them, after he was going, going to come later on down the road, you know, and die for them, and make them wholesome and clean and pure again, now they are his people again. He never rejected them. At this point we shall stop and uh, we'll say greetings to all of God's people. This is again Mordecai Joseph. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.